up, everybody? Welcome back to the Rodeo Wagon Podcast, brought to you by the Western Edge app and produced by Cosmic Cowboys. We're here with Denton Fugate. What's been happening, Denton? Oh, not much. Just being able to rodeo a little bit. Have you been going pretty hard? I've been seeing some <laughs> stuff on Facebook and Instagram. I, I've been, uh, I came home a week and a half ago, and I've taken it a little bit easier since then. But before then, I was... Uh, I was going pretty hard. Yeah, and you you took a year off, you were saying? Yeah, whenever uh, I broke my leg in 20, 2021 in October, and I was out for a full year all the way up until this past October, I guess. So you made the, you made the NFR in 2020 then? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Man, time flies, doesn't it? That's okay. It doesn't feel like it's been three years ago. It feels like it was just last year. Yeah. That's crazy. Man, how did you get, so explain for everybody the whole, like, part coming up to the NFR and that crazy intro that you did with the wild hair and everything. I got to hear that story because I haven't heard it. All right. So, um, whenever you make the NFR your first time as a rookie, uh, or whenever you show up to the NFR as a rookie or whatever, your first time, your first bull, if you fall off of him, then the other guys in the locker room get to pick some sort of uh, some sort of prank that you have to do. It could be anything from shaving your heads happen. Somehow I got the outfit, and uh, they just someone had to have a spray tan. It, there's all there's been all sorts of crazy things, but I got. Uh, dressed up in a blonde wig and a huge sombrero which the sombrero was kind of my fault because I was riding to the arena with Tyler Bingham and I stopped at a gas station and I was like sure at least we don't have to wear that or at least I don't have to wear that thing and he's like what do you do now <laughs> he's he spent 20 bucks on this huge hat and they put a crown on it and made me dress up like a rodeo queen. That's awesome. I had no idea. I thought it was something you came up with. And I wouldn't um, have been surprised. I wouldn't have, if anybody would have done that on their own, it would be Denton Fugate. No chance. I I didn't <laughs> want my my grand entry horse that I was riding was like this thing was so fast. Whenever you came in like past the ninety past the buck and shoots this thing was gone it was going just as fast as it could and this big old hat that i had i had to have it tied on because if it came off you got fine i had it like tight i had a stampede string and it was choking me all the way around there and it was just it was like a big parachute i couldn't get it i couldn't get it down until we stopped but that was it was pretty scary really how do they come up with the horses for that like are they just random horses or do you, you even know? Uh, the, uh, like, stock contractors have a group of, like, I guess, uh, horses that they use for, like, parades and stuff. And that's kind of how they, they ended up doing it. But it's random whenever you get there. You don't get to pick your horse unless you, you bring one, I guess. Well, I've seen a few few of them buck. I think I'd probably bring mine next year. <laughs> yeah, it was that was probably the scariest part because 
there's so much that can go wrong and there's so many people going so fast. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I guess at that point, cause that's at the intro when you did that, you probably, you didn't have your spurs or anything on at that point, but if you, you know, after you went around and they, they go around there, that's sketchy too. Cause you know, you can't, if you on a horse, you don't know, and it starts going, you know, freaking sprinting and bucking, like you, you can't really stick your spurs into them. <laughs> You definitely don't want to be the guy that wins around in the bull ride and then gets bucked off of the the victory lap horse. You'll never let that one down. Yeah, no joke, man. That's that's wild. I did. Do, do, do they fine you for like so? Do a group of guys pay the fine for putting whatever, or do they like you know? Because you'd think you get fined just for wearing all of that stuff, or do they not? Well, they there wasn't really anything that they could technically find me for i guess because i had i had a button-up shirt i had a cowboy hat i i don't know what all the rest of it they could have got but um boudreaux he wanted to lead me in the grand entry like i would i would just be able to hold on to the saddle horn and not be a whole be able to hold on to my reins and that we put the stop to that pretty quick because we knew we got fine pretty good for that one probably. Yeah. Okay. Something would have went south and Boudreaux would have let my horse go. It would have been bad. Well, I guess everybody knows there's a standard. If you do all of that, if you want to, you know, really be outspoken and really st- stand out, you're not going to get fined for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say that. I might have just slipped under the radar with that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. I, I'm always curious, too, and I've been wanting to talk to you anyway about, like, because I've always, went, I went the route, the PBR route, you know, when I first started, and uh, so I never even bought my PRCA card, never did the rodeo. Of course, I didn't grow up in it, so there wasn't, everybody talks about, you know, the that rodeo atmosphere and falling in love with that, and since I just came as a fan, that wasn't really a part of me anyway so like what's that process with making the nfr and what's that process look like because you know from what i hear it's different than circuit finals and all of that like you could literally not make a circuit finals and still make the nfr and and vice versa you have a lot of guys that make the circuit finals and aren't even in contention for making the nfr what does that look like when you're starting out with your card and in that process (laughs) Uh, whenever I started out, I pretty much stayed in the circuit that I was in, which whenever I started, I was living in Missouri. So it was a great lake circuit for me. And that gave me, uh, a few states where I could go and compete at the pro rodeos. And then I could qualify for the circuit finals whenever I was on my permit, which I, I knew I couldn't go to the NFR on my permit and I was way in over my head whenever I first started too. uh, you know, competing with the, the big dogs. I had to, to learn that too. So that was a, a chance for you to be able to qualify for a sort of a big finals, but not have to travel all across the U S and whatnot. So you could stay more local and that's that's also goes the same for the people that have a job through the week and are more your weekend type rodeoers. So they they also have the finals that they can qualify for. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
Now, what, you know, when you talked about the permit and stuff, like, can you make the NFR on your permit? And like, I know you have to like get to where you qualify for the bigger rodeos to make the money to, to make the NFR, which is obviously based on money. Like, what does that look like for somebody buying your permit? Is it a one year or do you get into some of the bigger deals if you enter them as a permit holder? And what's the difference between, is there a difference between having your permit and declaring yourself like your rookie? Okay. Uh, whenever, whenever I first started, I rodeoed um, two years on my permit, which you can rodeo up to four years on it if you're in college. But since I was in, since I went to college for two years, I just uh, rodeoed on my permit uh, while I was in college and trying to college rodeo and pro rodeo uh, just a a little bit whenever I was able to and that allowed me to to fill my permit which takes fifteen hundred dollars and then uh where I ended up they have a a permit uh finals that they take the top five in each event <clears throat> and uh then they you go to Vegas during the NFR and they kind of have like a I guess it's a top five shootout, I guess. And that's that's pretty much what the permit system is kind of built on, is to teach the younger guys how to rodeo and enter. And it also just gives them a chance to qualify for a, the permit finals, which is a pretty awesome deal whenever you're, you know, that young. Yeah, for but sure. And then... And then the rookie, what's what's kind of that that whole ordeal? Okay, so you can you can just fill your permit right off the bat, or however long it takes you, and like through the year, if per se it takes you two rodeos, then you can Is it, how, call. How much do you have to win to fill your permit? Uh, fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred. Okay. So you can do that. You know, you stay on one bull, and you're more than likely going to fill it most of the time. So you can buy your permit automatically or buy your rookie card automatically. And then that uh, makes you eligible for the rookie of the year and the NFR. So then you better rodeo as hard as you can because you only got one shot to be to win the rookie. Do, do they give you any like do do some of these bigger rodeos take so many rookies? Uh, there's a majority of rodeos that take a percentage of, uh, rookies and like, not your real big rodeos, but your medium sized rodeos and smaller, they take a percentage of permit holders too. Okay. But now, nowadays, like Fort Worth and, uh, San Antonio, they, they don't take permits, I believe, but whenever I was a permit holder, they used to. Oh, that's interesting. And what what does that look like when you when you are planning on going hard for the NFR and scheduling that? And I mean, I, I've seen different guys and they doing it different ways. You know, I've seen from what just watching watching you and and some of the places you're going, Cole Fisher. Uh, you know, it, it, and then you know some guys that are doing it. You know, maybe once you've gained that standings where you 
you know, the next year you're guaranteed to get into those bigger events. You can maybe go to fewer rodeos, but you're going to the big ones. Like, what does that generally look like? Options. Whenever. All right. So first say you had a good uh, starting year on your permit. You build it. You own quite a bit of money and you bought your rookie card right off the bat. All right. And your main goal is to make the NFR and win rookie of the year. So you want to make sure you get into the to the big radios right off the bat, like uh, Fort Worth, Santone, Houston, well, Denver, you know, all the, the big winter rodeos. So they have a few uh, Texas rodeos and right out the beginning of October. So what I tried to do was uh, I tried to go to a couple of the smaller three to 5,000 added rodeos to get in the top uh, 10 or 15 right off the bat. Cause at that, that point in the year, most of the guys are either ready to go home that have been fighting to qualify for the NFR or they're sore and just tired of rodeoing. So they're, they're kind of taking a break and that gives the guys that seen earlier on, like, me this year that I, I knew I wasn't going to really be in the fight to make the finals. So I, I kind of took a break and healing up and staying fresh. So whenever it comes October, I'll be ready to hit them hard right off the beginning so I can get into them bigger rodeos also. So really October to November is like a huge starting block for guys that haven't already qualified for the, you know, NFR that year. Yeah. And, or that wasn't in the top, you know, 25, 30 from the year before, because them guys will get into Denver, Fort Worth, all of them, no matter what. But if you you get in there and you're in the top, you know, 10, then you'll be able to get into everything and more than likely be able to get into Houston. And them rodeos right there are game changers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, heck, you won. How much did you win at Houston? Twenty thousand. I, I won. Whenever I won San Antonio, I won twenty four. Yeah, they they canceled Houston whenever whenever I was doing it there. So twenty four thousand at San Antonio. Dang. Yeah, that's a good chunk of change. Hey, that probably that. Man, it's crazy too because there's a few of them that pay out so much that if you just win a couple of them, I Calgary. If you win Calgary, how much is that? Uh, Fifty thousand, yeah. and be a hundred thousand. I'm not sure if it went back to a hundred this year or not, but it's that's life changing. Really, you win if you were to win two of those big roadies. You just about make the NFR. Outside of how many? What's the requirement? You have to go to so many. You have to go to 40 rodeos for your uh, Extreme Bulls money to count. 40. Okay. And it it, it can be any 40 for the Extreme yeah. What do the Extreme Bulls pay? They pay pretty good too, don't they? Uh, yeah. They're, it just depends. The They have to be at least 10,000 added, and then they can be like Ellensburg. I'm pretty sure it's 100,000 added. If not more. It's kind of like touring pros in the PBO. There's kind of a minimum there, and then they can be as high. Do they have? Well, I guess they don't go by a point system, so it's just money earned. Do you win 
is it all how do they calculate money at each rodeo like if you're the only guy to stay on do you does all the money count you know how did that work yeah that counts uh it's they uh, <clears throat> they kind of had a big discussion a few years ago probably it's probably been four or five years ago that it didn't it didn't count and all the bull riders were like if you stay on that's your money. It should count towards the, the standings. And that was kind of a touchy topic for a handful of guys that some didn't agree and some did agree. But yeah, if you're, if you're the only one to stay on at, at a rodeo or even the NFR, like last year in the 10th round, Tristan Hutchins was the only guy to stay on and won like $98,000 that counted yeah. towards, towards your, uh, your end standings. That can that can change the game going in. I, I realistically, when you go into the NFR, how many guys really have a shot to win the the world title? Because obviously, yeah, you, one round you can win close to a hundred k if you're the only guy to stay on. Yeah, it's whenever you go in there, like before the first bull on paper, it's anybody's ball game. And, you know, things don't just play out right. like that. But on paper, it's anybody's ball game. whenever you walk in there, it's – there's so much money. It's crazy. That is – yeah, you can win a lot of money at the NFR. Heck, you can win quite a bit of money during the regular season. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, generally, what, 15th right around 100,000? Is it? Yeah, I'd, I'd say anymore it's hundred to 110,000 is – probably where you're going to have to be to make the finals. And it's tight between probably what, 12 and 20. <laughs> I, I would say, yeah, probably 12 and 17. They're really, really tight, you know, and the top 20, they all have a, a shot in it. You know, a, a weekend could really, you know, flip around the whole standings that's crazy too because you think oh these guys are under pressure competing for a world title and a lot of people think of that i bet it's more pressure for the guys that are on that line coming in to the cutoff date i bet that pressure is crazy that was terrible i i stayed up the the last night of the regular season i'd stayed up all night pretty much just because i was 15th and there was a shot that a couple of guys could pass me, but I stayed up watching the Cowboy Channel all, like all night, and I was like, "Oh, come on, come on, come on!" And then I got the, I seen it, and I, that was, that was a super cool moment for me. What, what number were you? Were you fifteen or you were fifteen? Yeah, you were. You were sweating I, I, bullets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's. <clears throat> Man, that's uh, that whole the whole rodeo world is so far, it's 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 so different than the whole PBR and the bull riding world. Like they're not they're not even close to the same. As far as what it it, really... the scheduling wise, and like you know we're gone, you know two two to three days, you know a weekend, mm. and then you're home for four weekends. And I I watched you know you guys traveling and it's like nuts how many miles do you think you put on a vehicle and i say that we put i think i put forty nine thousand miles between january and may but yeah 
and I know that we're doing it a little different. So our miles are more like I'll be in California this weekend, next weekend I'll be in, you know, freaking Maine or something like that, where you guys are hitting runs a lot. But I was gonna say up. I say our miles are pretty similarish. You know, we'll we'll have more like all year, but that that time frame, like I would say it's it's pretty similar. We we might get put on a few more, but you you're right what you said, like Maine to California and all that. That's you guys do a lot of that, but you're mainly flying it, don't you? Uh, I, I you know what we've drove a lot. <laughs> yeah. We've me and Keith, me and Keith and Dakota, you know Zane Cook. That's kind of this area. Quentin Vaught, he went there for a while. We we group up and and drive. I mean heck. Earlier this year, we started off in South Carolina. So we drove up to South Carolina. Then during the week, we drove to Denver. And then we drove back to, you know, South Carolina and then home and then over in Ohio or something like that. So we we do quite a bit of driving. Yeah. That's... But, you know, we're only getting on so many bulls. Like, you're getting on bulls every single day and hitting runs. So you're... Mm-hmm. Like even even on the the you know the average you know d- weekend we're gone you know we'll leave on Thursday, and we'll be back on Sunday. The reason I like to fly a lot is because I hate being away from home, like when I don't have to be. And if I fly, I know I have to stay the night and get a plane flight in the morning. Where a lot of times, if I'm within fifteen hours, I'm like, heck, I could be home in the morning time if I just drove. Yeah that's that's true now you're a zombie when you get home because you've gotten no <laughs> sleep but you're at least present and you're still at the house so that's probably the big deal why we probably drive more than anything the the yeah. real far ones like you know earlier this year i was supposed to be out in like greenville south carolina i don't know columbus i think it was columbus south carolina and then i got the call like on a tuesday hey we want you on tour in Sacramento and I, I flew, I'm not going to drive to my drive by myself to Sacramento. Cause I'm going to get home sooner, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Being tired. So, but yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm with you on the, like the, the difference in the PBR and the, the rodeo. And I guess seen it a little bit, but, I got to go to Lamar this past weekend and like you could, you could see like the PBR group, they were, <laughs> you know, they were, they seemed serious and everything. And then like the kind of the group that just was like me and Maverick Smith, we entered and we'd been rodeoing together and we're kind of just goofing off and, you know, cutting up a little bit, a lot more laid back semen. And then uh, you could, you could kind of see that the PBR guys were like more, I don't want to say more focused because. No, it's not, it's not more of a focus, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. And I don't know why, I don't know why that's how it is. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Maybe it's because the atmosphere of a rodeo is kind of more laid back in its atmosphere. Like, you know, and you, you're not, it's not just bull riding. So you're sitting mm-hmm. there, you better have fun if you're sitting there for a full rodeo. 
Yeah, because you got you got two and a half hours at least of of stuff that you're just going through. You know, you you watch the bareback riding, and then you got a while, and you you're just sitting there warming your rope up, and then you you run out of things to do. So I guess you kind of gotta you know pick on somebody or or just mess around a little bit. I wonder too, and so I've noticed this, like the, one of the difference, and this probably could be a big aspect of it, is uh, rodeoing and rodeo guys are going every day. And when you're mm-hmm. riding bulls every day and you're you're going in the summer run, even if you're going to bull riding, but you're getting on every single day, mm-hmm. eventually you're just, you know, you're just so accustomed to everything. It's, it's just like that. Whereas when you're riding just on the weekend, it's almost like it builds up a pressure because like that's it like that you have this weekend and and you're not you haven't been in that flow of just that atmosphere all the time that makes sense and and whenever you're you're doing it day in and day out you kind of gotta you gotta do something or it gets you know it, it turns into work if you're if you're not trying to enjoy it you know especially on the on the couple days or so where things aren't going so good if you just show up and you're having a having a bad time it sure ain't gonna get no better you know another thing could be too is uh, you know in the rodeo most of the rodeos feed you afterwards and maybe Mm -hmm. it makes you know bull riders more happy maybe they're more (laughs) relaxed you know where we know we're like if I go to a PBR event, I better not step my foot in that catering room because it's not for me. <laughs> if I want to eat, I better stay on. <laughs> That's funny. I think Dakota, uh, oh, I don't know, this year, one year, I think it was this past year, and mm-hmm. it was maybe Albuquerque or something, and he's like, he's like, oh yeah, man, there's free food back there. I'm like, yeah, not for us. I, he went back in there and you know, start chowing down but he'd been you know dakota kind of been rodeoing too and was was that or was that at the pbr no that's the pbr oh (laughs) yeah he went into the catering room at the pbr that's awesome it's not for us (laughs) but both the rodeos they have a, a full deal afterwards oh yeah yeah and i i like that about the rodeos too, because like you sit around there and yeah, they'll feed you, and then you get to talk and hang out and meet a bunch of people. That's that's one thing that I really like about about being able to rodeo and pick where you get to go. That's yeah. one of my favorite. Yeah, because we're PBR the same group. The beginning of the year, you kind of see like, okay, who are the new faces and who are the guys that are gonna go, and then. After the second or third week, it's the same. And from year to year, it's pretty much the same. But, you know, there's always new guys coming up. And then uh, some guys will take a year off. And then you'll see them again. And, and vice versa. Whereas rodeo, you probably are seeing a lot more people throughout that year. There is a, there's a pretty good, pretty good set of young kids coming up right now that are impressive, too. Cool. It's fun to watch over there. Yeah, and that's really cool because I've they need to figure out the as far as bucking bulls, they need to figure out like the program for kids coming up because it's like you get on social media and it's like 16, 15 year olds do not need to be getting on this stuff. 
you know, and then there's stuff that's like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Many bulls that are bucking hard. Yeah, and there, there's no way that them kids are going to be able to stay on one, you know. Everything's going entirely too fast. Shoot, I would have trouble riding some of them mini bulls. Yeah, no joke. And you could probably get on them, and they wouldn't even say anything. The mustache, it may, that may throw them off. But, you know, Bob Mitchell, you know, maybe he's kind of made it to where people are like, well, maybe he is 12. <laughs> Bob looks like he's 40 and they let him buy his, you know, you know, he probably could have, he probably could have entered PBR that, you know, 13. <laughs> he could have probably. That could be, you know, early retirement for you, you know, when you're like, you know what, I'm not ready to go to the NFR, but I think I could make some money on minis. You know, I'm going to stay around the house and ride some mini bulls. <laughs> You could probably make the angles and everything where people wouldn't even know it's a mini bull. Yeah. <laughs> there certainly are some that book hard enough. Man, yeah. And you, when you were starting off with, I mean, was that even really a thing? Like, even mini bulls with that? They, they kind of, they were kind of just starting to come around whenever I was. I got on a, a couple of them whenever I was like 13. Like, I was almost too old. For the for the mini bulls, whenever they started coming around, but uh, I never I never was a very big fan of them. I didn't I didn't really think they bucked very hard, and I thought they was real choppy, and it just felt terrible. Yeah, I just talked to somebody that was uh, maybe it was Mason Moody. He mm -hmm. was saying the same thing. He's like, it it doesn't even feel like it doesn't it it doesn't feel right. And I now that he said that, and you said that. Uh, I know what he's talking about because Quincy McDonald, um, he had a bull mm -hmm. down at his house that was black and super choppy like that. Feet didn't come off the ground very much and just super choppy and just didn't even feel like that bull is not going to help you really. <laughs> no, it just terrible. It, and whenever I remember whenever they they first started coming around, they was trying to say that it was going to be better because they had bigger shoulders and would feel like an actual bull. I was like, okay, may maybe. And then after getting on a couple and it just was terrible. So like, man, if this is what big bulls feel like, I don't know if I want to do it. The only, the only thing that maybe could help a kid out. And I don't know, is like talking to Kurt check and he talked about, cause you know, he's got his boys coming up and I yeah. remember, audience who's talking about size really matters to kids like you could put them on one that bucks really hard but it's a mm -hmm. small you know steer or whatever and kids you know will get on them all day long but if you get a, a big steer you know a bigger sized you know mini bull or whatever mm -hmm. they don't want to get on them just because it's a side to size difference so maybe if you had a you know super calm mini bull that had the size it could help kids kind of get over get over you know mentally that the size part of it i don't know i think that would that would be all right you know just something slow and jump kicks you know where they could you know use the size of it i could see that helping but like, is there even like i know in the the stock contracting world and that's changed tremendously since i started and for sure since you did yeah. like it's a whole different world now so it's a it's a money game uh, is there any money in getting breeding ranked mini bulls or is that just a pride thing i 
I haven't heard of there being a whole lot of money in it, but it's not really. Yeah, I don't pay attention a whole lot to that. That's that's what I was thinking, but I, I don't know. I think it would almost be more of a pride thing. I don't, I don't even really. I don't know. I don't really care for watching many bulls because I don't. I don't like seeing kids get through off. You know, I'd rather see. I'd rather see a kid ride something that is very low caliber, you know, and actually help instead of just putting a kid's head in the dirt and yeah, and, and I, not. The value of just staying on is huge. Even. Oh. Staying on, you know, like this past year I spent when I came back, you know, with all the team stuff and I was injured last year, I had knee surgery and I came back. And so I just stayed and went to, you know, rodeos around the house and stuff. And I rode everything. Like I think I fell off one bull, maybe two in a three month span. Like that just breeds confidence. It doesn't even matter if you're going 75, 85. You felt great doing it, you know, like you you knew that what you was getting on, you might not have been the rankest thing you ever rode, but I bet you was making sure you was riding it perfect, you know? 100%. Yeah, I think that that part of it, you know, and I, and I get like, you know, there's also a, a skill development where you do need to get on, you know, at a, at a point you need to start getting on better bulls. And, and I think in the practice pen, you know, for guys starting off, there's a time and place to do that and make sure you're pushing yourself, but only to a certain degree because, you know, these ranked bulls nowadays are hard on your body. It's it's way harder on your body than, you know, getting on. If you, you get on 82-point bulls all day long, it's not that bad. You start getting on 88-plus mm -hmm. bulls, you know, 87-plus bulls. Nowadays, like, that takes a toll on your body if you're doing that over and over again. Oh, definitely. And, I mean, you might not think it of it. But every time you hit the ground, it's it's a little bit more wear and tear on you, you know, just every yank you get, which is just part of it. But yeah, I, I, and I, I agree with you. I, I think that you got to know when to test yourself and you got to be willing to test yourself. But you also need to have your basics down or or you can understand what you're testing before you just get in over your head too yeah me yeah. and nathan we talked about like the value of the practice pen if you're changing anything hey mm -hmm. even riding the better bulls like it's a different almost if there's a different feel the form isn't it's it, the form doesn't change but there's certain things you have to like emphasize on on really ranked bulls like utilizing your knees on a you know really ranked bull that's kicking and hitting hard people don't mm -hmm. realize that two bulls on a video can look the same but a bull that's yeah. hitting really hard, you better be able to pull your knees up to absorb that hit. Because even if you're getting over the front end, you know, like when they hit like that, they're pulling you forwards. So right. that's the difference between an 82 point bull that, you know, may not be hitting that hard and you may not have to throw your knees up. But if you look at all the great bull riders, they're using their knees and they're using them. Oh, well. yeah. Of course, sure. that's not a problem for you. Not an issue. It's not an issue. <laughs> not a problem. You know, like that's only people that struggle with their feet, really. So if that's I, not an issue for you, it's just not. <laughs> I got the care of. <laughs> oh man. I'll never forget Keith. 
getting whooped down in Springfield on a bull you'd been whooped down on too. Do you remember that bull? I honestly don't, but I, I know I know which bull it was, and I I seen the video of Keith getting knocked out. But the last thing I remember from the night that he knocked me out was me putting my rope on a black and white muley, and Mason was like, "No, that's the wrong bull. That that's the bounty bull. The one you drew is the uh, the little black backhorn behind him." And I was like, oh, "Okay." That's the last thing I remember. I couldn't even tell you what the bull really looked like at that point. And then, then, uh, the next week, Keith had him drew, and he said he did the same thing. Same thing, and it was so funny because Keith got whooped down twice or three times, and every single time he'd just go to the side and then get whooped down and then go to the other side. And at the afterward, you know, he split his chin up all the way, and uh, a guy came up and said that was a the most cowboy grittiest ride I've ever seen. And he walked away and we, me and, uh, Oh, uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, we just started dying laughing. Well, like Keith couldn't have got off that bull if he wanted to. And then hey. Jeremiah convinced him to get on again. And he did get KO'd <laughs> in the short round. Oh yeah. I remember whenever they got back, that's whenever I was going to college with Keith and they got oh. back and they told me that story. And that's whenever me and Keith would we would do it. You oh, know, yeah. we would we'd put him in there to stay. He was all about that. That was it. That he was all about it. He's the one that taught me how to do it. Of course, for oh, me, yeah. like all that, which I have such long legs, I couldn't put him in there to stay if I tried. Just not even right. I, I can't I couldn't do it. But there for a minute, I definitely tried. And I'd catch <laughs> my belt straps just as much as I'd catch my my knots, to be honest. Um but yeah. You know, we went through that phase. He's the one that taught me how to line it up on the drop barrel and all of that. But when I switched over to a Brazilian rope, it was like, it's not even, it wasn't. American rope, for some reason, you can line them suckers up perfect. But with a Brazilian rope, it's a whole different ordeal. Yeah. Uh, whenever, that's how I, I got taught to ride bulls whenever I was little. And that was terrible. Terrifying. <laughs> I want to know the guy that said that. Son, you gotta learn how to stay on. <laughs> well, I could ride I could ride steers a little bit, but whenever they would change directions and spin, and I was like, Why don't you try this? Just just do this. And I was like, Okay. It works sometimes, but when it didn't, it was terrible. I think it's funny too. You see these, you know, these old timers, you know, that you know, we watched on, you know, tour and everything prior to, and dude, everybody was doing it. I mean everybody. But oh, yeah. nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about it. <laughs> no, and how they did it was terrifying. <laughs> they they put their feet in the rope and they would pry on that rope. You know, I was like, "Golly, them old videos." Like when he came out out of retirement for that one deal. And yes, he was strapped, man. He wasn't coming off until he got KO'd. <laughs> And he knew he knew it was coming, too. Uh-huh. But, heck, oh, man. man, it's like Keith, when he taught me that, he said, look, it comes down to this. You can't be scared to win. I don't know who taught him that, but you can't be scared. Oh, that was you. Yeah. And he meant it, too. He meant we called it. it. We called it financial aid in college. Financial aid, yep. Yeah, you know what, though? Uh. Back in the day, too, they did it without a helmet. 
And yeah, they, <laughs> then we're they meant it back then. Nowadays, you can get a helmet that'll ju- you just about can freaking I mean, unless that helmet comes off, you're good. Yeah, no kidding. And that helmet <laughs> can come off. I had the Inventable. You were at that deal, that Outlaw exclusive deal. I remember, mm-hmm. and and I had my knots there too. I was all about it, and I got pulled down, and that sucker's horn bent the bars and ripped that Invincible off my head. Then how wild? Yeah, yeah, Invincible. Even these hundred X's, at least the bigger ones. You know, the regular size. I, some guys are using. I know Andrew. He went to the smaller version. Cooper. He's used his for a while. It's kind of a smaller. Lighter, compact, hundred X. You can't really tell if you're watching on TV, even if you're in person. But mm-hmm. if you really look at it, you can tell it's considerably a little bit smaller and lighter. Probably a little bit less protective, but yeah. Well, you know, you you really don't want to use them. <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't plan on using them. That's that's how I am. I I finally switched to a, a Bauer shell instead of my two tough shell. Okay. And I I don't know. I I've had my two tough since I probably had it for like eight or nine years. That shell needed to replace bad anyway, but I finally I finally did one, and I think it feels way more comfortable. And I think it's kept me stay uh, kept me awake a couple times whenever that. Too tough would have put me to sleep. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting too, like, especially if I'm talking to anybody about helmets. 100X, mm. you know, as far as getting stepped on, as far as getting horned in the head, like, mm. it's a bulletproof helmet out there. As far yeah. as getting whooped down, I I think that that weight does come into play. I've been knocked out in the 100X from mm. just hitting the ground more than I have using any other helmet. But I've really? also been stepped on in the head where, you know, I, I, I could have, you know, I get up and get on another one, get on three of them. Like it doesn't impact you at all. So it's a give or take, you know, on that end. I used to Bauer for a minute. I actually yeah. stopped the Bauer. The time I did was it was at it was one weekend we were going to me and Dakota were going to Dan Cook's deal. And then the next mm-hmm. weekend to ABBI Classic um, Velocity. And I got this bull and it was the first time I went back to a Brazilian rope and I wasn't used to it. And he went out and freaking collect him. And I rolled right underneath him, landed on my back and he came down, stepped right on my temple and put a big hole in the bower, ripped it off my head. If I wouldn't have had a helmet on, that would have probably killed me because it was right there. It would have, it would have probably killed me. I would have definitely been in a bad state, but um, the next night I had to get on again. And so, mm-hmm. should have I? Absolutely not. But uh, the 100X people are like, hey, we got you because it was in Kansas City. So I went oh. there, put that helmet on, and I got on the bull uh, that Quentin Vaught and Decatur was the only guy to ride and won like 15 grand. Mm-hmm. And he whooped me down um, and did KO'd me. I was out for a minute. <laughs> I ended up having Monday, like my feet were like, like I could tell something was wrong and went to the hospital and they were saying that my brain bled quite a bit, which a concussion it always does, but it was a pretty bad one. So I ended up I think I think I remember that one. I think Keith told me he was pretty goofy for like a little bit there. Yeah. Wasn't you? After uh, that one? That one I was. Man, there's been a few of them. That one was bad. I got on one at Reno 
Um, mm-hmm. and I was like seven, eight, and I got KO'd. They said I was out for like five to ten minutes, and uh, Keith was with me then, and I didn't even like the first thing I remember was I remember waking up my in my bed, uh, and it was actually at somebody else's house because we were staying um, with a, a friend of ours, and yeah. waking up and looking at my arm, and I had the IV mark, and I'm like, dang it. And then I kept telling Keith, because I was wide awake at that point. It was like I had a perfect night's sleep, and I kept waking waking up and being like, hey, let's play PUBG. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next weekend, we were in, so that was in Reno, Nevada. The next weekend, we were in Baltimore, Maryland. And I took second and went two for three and rode great. I've never been KO'd outside of that one where I got on again, and I really shouldn't mm-hmm. have been probably in a bad state. As it was, but yeah. um, I never like missed a, a weekend after. I think if you. Uh, well, I didn't either. I got, I got knocked out pretty good in Popper Bluff uh, a couple years ago, and that one messed with me pretty good. But I, after a couple of days, I was all right too. But this year, I had one. <clears throat> happened in Bangor, Maine. It's right before the com the the first combine that they did, and that was a weird mm-hmm. one. Like I didn't get knocked out. I uh I just landed weird, and but I had a concussion, and like mm-hmm. I knew the first time I threw up afterwards and everything, and that that one held on to me. It was, it was Monday before that one. It's just a weird deal how sometimes you can get flat KO'd and be good, yeah. and you can just hit weird and. That's that's how it was. That's how it was for me, but. And I didn't really know what it like. I didn't never really had it happen before. I've been knocked out worse than that, you know. And but that one, it I puked afterwards too, and it it scared me a little bit. I was like, this is makes you feel all fuzzy and stuff. I hated it. I told Dakota the next day. I said, man, like if I get any worse, I think I'm gonna have you take me to the, the hospital. I don't want to go, but like there's a the point where it's like. Mm better your head's pretty especially with a head deal and you don't really know what's going on of course i haven't had the internal stuff casey he mm-hmm. got stepped on in his guts and that was a bad ordeal yeah and i yeah, think then hours after do what that was a couple hours after when he like decided hey i need to go something's wrong it's a weird deal mm-hmm. just knowing your body and kind of knowing like something's not right here yeah, just yeah, that is crazy. And I, I think too, for some people, it's probably not weird, but we're so used to injuries and go in pain. Like, you know, two of the last three years, I've you know broken my leg, and it's not like bad. Like, I'll break a fibula. One year, I broke my fib, and mm-hmm. that's a small bone, and that sucks. But it's not like something that you're. I like, I kept riding with it. You know, I braced mm-hmm. it up. You know, the worst part was, uh, I because I, you don't try to land on your feet. Worst part was being in the chute, you know, if they leaned up against you. Yeah. But so you're kind of, you get used to that kind of stuff. And, and then I think it makes it, and you know, too, if you do go to the hospital, like it ain't cheap to do that. <laughs> no. And, and most of the time, like, if it ain't nothing major, they're just going to put a brace on it and tell you send you on anyway you know yeah yeah 100 percent. and heck even even going to doctors you're going to the right guys tandy freaking awesome any anybody tandy refers you to 
awesome. You go to somebody else and they don't understand the sport. Like it's just a different deal. I just, you know, broke my leg and the doctor I went was in-house. And so it was going to be so much cheaper. It was considerably cheaper. She specialized in ankles, uh, did a great job with my ankle and my leg. However, she's like, yeah, it'll be about six months, maybe for a normal person. But you, know, you yeah. have a doctor like Tandy and he gets he gets something. So when a doctor's looking at it, they're like, what's the risk of you coming back? Well, for an average person, if you go back to doing anything crazy, that risk is super high. But a guy like right. Tandy, he knows, OK, well, there's already a risk in getting on bulls. And you're at the point now where there's no more risk to you. You're already mm-hmm. at, a, at this level of risk. And now you're at this point where it doesn't add any more risk. So it's kind of up to you, you know, what you want to do. But And speaking of picking who you get to send or be sent to or who T- Tandy sends you to, whenever I whenever I broke mine, uh, they they life lighted me and they were supposed to, they were going to take me to uh, Hot Springs, I think it was. And then like somehow turned the helicopter around and took me to Jonesboro. So they they land and I'm like, okay, well, here we go. And I, I don't know how bad it is. Everybody's just like, yeah, you got broken leg. I'm like, okay. They got me all all fixed up or like where I'm not feeling nothing. And I was like, so it's broke? And they're like, it's pretty, pretty broke. I'm like, okay. So how long do you think this is going to take to heal? And they're like, you broke it pretty good. It's going to be a minute. I was like, okay. So I kind of accepted it there. And then after they they got me, after they did the surgery, I went home and I thought I was going to be on the mend and I was going to be real tough and start walking right away. And they like, you know, put a little weight on it. Nah, that 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 got my attention, and eventually everybody's like, "Man, I feel like you got to be getting around a little bit better than this." Travis was like, "You should definitely be putting more weight on it than this," and I was like, "I, I guess I'm just a sissy or something, but this thing hurts bad." And then all of a sudden, I was going to physical therapy. And I had just this, like, knot pop up on the, like, front of my shin. And I had a, I had a plate trying to come out the, the top of my shin because it was rejecting it. So, because the doctor got an infection in there. Dang. And it was open wound when you broke yeah. it. Dang. Yeah. And I've, I've even heard of a lot of guys, like, with their shoulders and they'll go to somebody other than Tandy and they'll do, mm-hmm. like, a type of surgery that like won't hold for bull riders and then instead of six months it's a year just yeah, and then redo it yeah and so on mine they had to go back in there and uh take all the stuff back out scrape the infection take a bone from my hip and put it in my leg because the infection was like eating away at my at my bone i guess that's some crazy stuff. I'm fortunate to have a leg, to be honest. Yeah, that's no joke. Man, they're the football players that something like that happened with, and 
he played like one more one more game or one more year and then retired. I forget what his name was. But um Nick Folks maybe? No, that's a kicker, I believe. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, that I know the open wound stuff, that's that's pretty nuts. When I just broke mine, um I'm gl- I'm lucky it was an open wound because he did freaking he stepped right on that sucker and I went to go take a step and wasn't there. When I jumped up on the fence and I looked down at it and my leg is completely set my foot's completely sideways i'm like nope i don't think it's supposed to be like that and then there's a guy there's a guy from a fan because i jumped up on the chute right or on the mm-hmm. fence and a fan just comes up right in my face and he's like you won you won all this stuff i'm like man please get away from me right now because <laughs> honestly i don't care <laughs> Keith was telling me about you trying to get him talked into going that bull ride too. Yeah, yep, yep. I ended up getting on four bulls that day, re riding. I was because it was a. Oh, you What? You got a re ride also? Yeah, so I got well, not on that bull. I got uh, it was a rodeo and a bull riding, and I didn't like understand that it was a two head bull riding. So it was an NFPB and then. MRCA and so the day before I was entered in the rodeo and so I just got a one bull and then the next day I, they double headed the bull riding so I got on a rodeo bull and then on my first uh NFPB bull I got a re-ride and then so I got on I ended up getting on four which wasn't which it wasn't terrible it's not like you're getting on actually it was terrible and I'll tell you why because bulls that aren't bucking very hard suck to get on it's like it's like ten times the work. Like you get done, yeah. you get on a bull that's just wish washed, jumping out, you know, running down mm-hmm. the pen, ducking and diving, and you get off and you felt like you just did a like a legit workout. And you get on a bucking bull, and it's just like eye of the hurricane. You're like, man, that felt great. <laughs> but whenever, like sometimes, whenever you're doing it really good, it, it's over before you even, you know, it's. Like, it happened so fast, and, like, you, don't get me wrong, you remember some of it, but there's some of it, you're like, yep, that just happened. Yeah, it just happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no joke. And it, bulls, it, it, it's, when it's so intense like that, it's just your brain and it's processing. That's why practice, oh, yeah. knowing form is a big deal going into those. It's one reason I use the, the buck right, and it's like a, to me, it's like a treadmill for bull riders. You know, and you don't even have to do anything fancy for me. It's just just the timing and stuff and, you know, just kind of that feel of like doing moves over and over and over again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Repetition. It, your mind like remembers it. And then whenever it gets going that fast and that's what your mind remembers and that's what comes up. Yeah. And sometimes like my mind will go on one thing, like if your feet like are kind of on the end, like your your mind immediately goes to making, you know, release and yeah. making feet in front of you or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know what guys like Sean Willingham and those style riders, Craig Jackson back in the day, don't know where their mind went. Like yeah. guys just lay back every single time, no matter hey, what. Hang on and kick. <laughs> that guy was so much fun to watch. I have a slow motion ride of Sean at the, it was the last year he rode and we were, uh, oh, well, you talk about driving. So two parts to this story. So we were at a deal of Chad, Chad Burgers um, 
and Sheridan, Wyoming. And he went 90 on this bull and he didn't, I think his back was, he was riding him like a bareback bronc, just the entire ride. Just like no idea how you even keep your hand in the bull rope. Like I didn't know they made rosin sticky enough to hold it in there. Oh, no kid. But that deal, I remember that because me and Keith went up there and we had started mm-hmm. that, like that all that week we rode. So we went to amateur deals, like Shad Smith's deals and stuff. And then we drove up to, so we went to like Nebraska and then, you know, we were kind of in the Midwest, Iowa. Then we shot up to Sheridan. And so we were at Sheridan on Friday and then we were in Salinas, California on Saturday. And then on Monday, we were in Arkansas at Klein's deal that he does. And yeah. we drove it and it was just me and Keith. And we showed up to Sheridan. We were talking to like Mason and Zane and them. And Mason's like, no, dude, I'm flying. I was like, huh, who, who else is driving? They're like, nobody. Everybody's flying from Sheridan because tomorrow we're in Salinas. And we were driving. It was like 16 hours. And we literally couldn't stop the entire time. <laughs> hey there, folks. I want to tell you about my favorite cowboy hat brand, Sombrero Brands. As a professional bull rider, I know how important it is to have a hat that not only looks good, but can withstand the toughest rides out there. And that's exactly what Sombrero Brands delivers. Their hats are custom-fitted and shaped to perfection, with a level of attention to detail that's hard to find these days. But what really sets Sombrero Brands apart is the fact that they're a family-owned and operated business. Mark and Kendall Holler, the owners, and their daughter Sarah, who's only 13 but already a hat-making prodigy, are all passionate about their craft. They know what it takes to make a cowboy hat that can stand up to anything the rodeo circuit can throw at it. And get this. The founder's grandfather, Polly Holler, was born and raised at South Camp on the Four Sixes Ranch. These folks have got cowboy blood running through their veins, and it shows in every hat they make. That's why I'm proud to have Sombrero Brands as a major sponsor for my podcast, the Rodeo Wagon Podcast. So if you're in the market for a hat that's tough enough to handle anything the rodeo throws at it, give Sombrero Brands a try. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. So we're on our way from Sheridan, Wyoming to Salinas, California. And that wasn't anything exciting at Salinas, but we showed up an hour before the perf started and we drove all night long. When one of us was driving, the other was sleeping. But then the interesting part was when we left Salinas and we were a little ways from Albuquerque and the brake line of my car went out and I was driving a five speed. So we whipped in to this little shop that just happened to be like we it broke down. It was actually we pulled into a gas station. We were leaving the gas station that happened and we looked around and there happened to be a shop literally right next door to this. And we're in New Mexico. So we have nowhere to go. We pull into that shop and he's like, well, I can get the brake line tomorrow from O'Reilly's, but it'll be tomorrow at eight. And Keith looked at me and said, what would Dakota and Quentin do? I said, you're right. We're going to send it. We're sending it. (laughs) So we drive and Keith is his first trip ever even driving a five speed. So I'm like, I'm not letting you drive. I will drive all the way home. And we hit Albuquerque rush hour in the morning time without any brakes. And we're just down, downshift. I'm downshifting and then pulling the e-brake and people are cutting you in front of you. And it was wild. We drove all the way there, got back home and then. We get home and then we head over to Arkansas the next morning. But so there's there's still times, you know, if you're PBR and where you freaking take some trips too. 
Especially gotta, a stretch too. If you got a lot of money, then flying, you know, once you've seen mm. the country and we've seen the country, then flying is, is kind of nice. Every now and again. Oh yeah, especially like if I was going to PBR, I think I would, especially if you're on tour, I think flying would be the way to go because you could you'd spend so much more time at home, and that would be that would be what would be the best for me. I think. The really nice part is where we live, and you're in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. You're in yeah, which is kind of in a centralized place. There's a yeah. lot, of, there's a lot of UTBs and stuff where you're only 12 hours away. Like, yeah, you know, if you're if you live on the East Coast or you live on the West Coast, or mm-hmm. you live in North Dakota or Montana, then it kind of makes sense. Probably half of the deals or more are going to be flying distance, whereas we're kind of in a centralized place, so it's not bad. Yeah, that's true, but. I got a story for you about Albuquerque that that you'll enjoy. So me and Mason and uh, Dalton Sylvie, we we were hanging out one night and uh, I was traveling with Garrett Tribble at the time and he'd made the NFR and it was, that's what we was hanging out. We was hanging out watching the NFR, just, you know, chilling out, doing whatever. Well, that night, Garrett calls me, and he's like, guess what, old bud? I was like, you won the round. He's like, yep, got the old round to win. I was like, heck yeah. He's like, uh, yep, I got spotted demon tomorrow or something like that. He he had him. I'm pretty sure he had spotted demon the next day or, or something. But we all started throwing it around. We was like, what do you guys got going on next couple of days? We're like, nothing. Mason's like, well, I got to be back. Uh, I got to be back Friday for like, what's Chad's big bull riding in yep. North Dakota? Bismarck. Yep. So uh, he's like, I just got to be back to go to Bismarck. And I was like, all right, well, let's look up flights, see how much it, how much it'd take to, get us out there to Vegas for a couple of days. So we looked it up and it was like 1200 bucks a piece. And we're like, Oh, no way. We're not doing that. So, uh, he kind of looks at me, look at each other. He's like, well, you got that Prius. We can drive it for way cheaper than that. <laughs> so me and Sylvie, we all kind of look at each other and, we're like, uh, we're wanting someone to say no, but we wasn't going to be the one to say no. Or, like, I wasn't going to say no. He wasn't going to say no. Sylvie wasn't going to say no. So, all of a sudden, we decided we was going to leave for Vegas at, like, probably midnight one night. So, we get to, we get in Oklahoma, about big cabin, and, uh, Sylvia pulls over and we sleep for a couple hours and and then he uh, wakes me up. He said, "It's your turn to drive." They thought I'm pretty sure they thought I was gonna turn around and come back home. Nope, back towards Vegas we went. So we get we get driving. I probably drive four or five hours while they're sleeping. They wake up and uh, this is not very long after Mason got married. So, 
and we didn't we didn't tell me and Mason we didn't tell our girlfriends he didn't tell his wife we just spur of the moment type thing so that's gonna go well <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't believe it but they were super upset with us yeah I don't see I don't know why <laughs> they they thought it was a very bad idea so that's the moral of the story is we got all the way to Albuquerque and turned around and we we got gas in McDonald's at Albuquerque and turned around so neither one of us got divorced. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I I heard I heard part of the story that <laughs> you know, hey, that was a wise decision. Now it, I didn't start off with a wise decision, but it ended with one. <laughs> See? gosh that was wild man that's that's crazy i remember one time we it was me quentin dakota and mason and we were mm. going to, it was at chad burgers in north dakota um it wasn't bismarck it was newtown and we were going, oh yeah it was like a blizzard um and we were driving on the highway and you couldn't see you know 10 feet in front of you you couldn't see it all and i remember at that time, Mason was driving and Dakota was in the passenger seat. Me and Quentin were in the back. And so then uh, Dakota's like, I want to drive. And so Mason's like, all right, I'll let you drive or whatever. And they get out and they're standing there talking to each other in the middle of the freaking interstate. We're parked <laughs> in the middle of the interstate in a freaking snowstorm. Quentin is freaking out. He's like, we're going to get killed. A semi's going to come and run us over. I wasn't freaking out, but... Uh, not outside, but I was on the mm -hmm. inside. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what's about to happen. Yeah, that's, you're, not, <laughs> you're not wrong. They switched it. They they ended up switching, but they stood out there for like, I don't know, it felt like 20 minutes. It probably was oh, only yeah. three minutes. It felt like 20. Did that. We went there, and, you know, it really shows, too, like once we got there and everything, like the kind of guy Mason was, is mm -hmm. after that, after the first perf, it was like, because uh, Newtown is like a, it's a casino. They have an arena. You know, it's like mm -hmm. a like a little facility, a hotel that's connected. So everybody stayed there. And it was like 11 o'clock at night. Well, everything shut down at that point. Like everything shut down. And mm -hmm. everybody was starving. And Mason went up to the uh, the pizza people that were making pizza. And they were shutting everything down. And he's like, I want a pizza. And they're like, sorry, we're closed. We already cleaned up. And he's like, I'll give you a hundred bucks for a medium pizza or something like that. And sure enough, they started that sucker right back up. <laughs> well, and it was turned off. He ate like one slice, everybody else, you know, he's like, he's feeding all these little birds. Because <laughs> at that oh, time, yeah. he's on tour and, you know, that was nothing. Everybody else is flat broke, you know. Yeah. That was, but yeah, um, wild times. <laughs> that's, that's the thing that I like about traveling so much is you get to have all them, them stories. That's, I think that's what's kept me on the rodeo side of things so much more is just the, you, you get to make your own, like your own schedule and you get to kind of visit what part of the world that you want to see. You know what I mean? Yeah. Heck, you can go to Alaska. That was pretty cool. That was that was one of the coolest places I've ever been. It was it was cold and cool in more ways than one. It was like forty five degrees there. It's kind of crazy just where you know even rodeo takes you. Like I went to Saudi Arabia. I know a lot of guys have gone to Australia, and mm -hmm. obviously we know people from those places, but not Saudi. I don't think there's any Saudi border. 
Or I don't yeah. know how many guys in Alaska ride. Uh, I don't know. They they said that they'd had a bull riding before, but or it had like little rodeos. But it like that was the first type of big bull riding that they'd yeah. seen from what it sounded like. So that was super cool to be a part of. Yeah, and I, I Zane he um he did a deal down in Hawaii one year. Mm-hmm. He was doing that uh, movie or whatever, and they got on bucking bulls in Hawaii. Do they have any pro rodeos in Hawaii? Uh, I think I did see one. But I don't know if it's still there, but I think I seen one a couple of years ago. But I'm not sure. That would be cool to go to. Yeah. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, that's one of the things, too. Like, even me, like, when I came up, because I didn't start riding until I was late. And so, like, right. I have that immediate group of guys, you know, that, like, we all, like, when I started, you know, I remember right when I first started, you and Mason, we were at Springfield. And you were, like, 96, and Mason was, like, 95 or something stupid like that. <laughs> Oh, I, we were I rode. <laughs> I I remember that. I, Mason was ninety one and ninety three, and I was gonna have to be like one hundred and four points to beat him. <laughs> and I was like, "Who is this guy? What is, what is even going on?" That was so much fun. Yeah, those were the days. But then it kind of, you know, I I just I very quickly I went to the PVR and kind of. It was Mason was there. That was that was one of the cool, mm-hmm. especially my first time on tour and stuff. That time I just was so new. I mean, heck, I didn't even know anything about rodeo or anything. And then all of a sudden, in four years, I you know get on tour for the first right. time. Like it, it just happened so quick. And then I saw a lot of you know you guys, you Cole Fisher, and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of guys going the the rodeo route. And I kind of went the PBR route. And uh, obviously, Keith ended up you know come in and doing PBR. Dakota's kind of done both and same as Quentin and stuff. But mm-hmm. I guess um, I could really see that because a lot of the guys I know, you know, pro rodeo or just, you know, go to freaking Shad Smith deals or, you know, NFPB and make quite a bit of money. That's that's the thing about it anymore is you can go really anywhere you want. Like whatever your goals are. You can ride bulls and make a bunch of money now. There's so many places to go. It's it's really just whatever you want to, yeah, whatever I, trail you want to take. In like three months or you know, I don't know, two months to summer, he made like thirty six thousand. He was saying, yeah, TVs and you know that's just in a short little period going to you know deals up up north in a few events. I mean, and there's places like that all over. Oh, I, yeah. say that I don't know that the money is in bull teams unless mm-hmm. you, just, you, you have that name and you're kind of tied in with the right guys that are bringing bulls. Um, it's like they I'm ride a, I, I think that's, I think that's the difference is they ride so many bulls and like you got to be 90 something to place, you know? Yeah. That, there's one in Arkansas, Dakota just went to, and he said mm-hmm. be like 90 to even make any money. Yeah, and which I mean, you get to you get to pick your bull, but if it's bring your own rider, right? Yeah, yeah, the bring yeah. your own rider, you get matched up. Uh, for a tall guy like me, I'd just sooner not do that. <laughs> I, for me, I don't, I don't like doing it either. I get, I, I got conned into it this coming week weekend, but I'm not a huge bull team fan, really. I'd rather. I'd rather just draw them. Yeah, yeah. 
on on that side of things, you know, I guess I guess it makes sense. Hey, it's probably healthy to have both. It's probably good. Yeah. It, it helps the bull industry, and and you see oh, guys who've never gotten into the sport, you know, and and now they have some bucking bulls and and are able to actually justify doing it. <laughs> yeah, and then things pay good too, and bull teams. Joe Anderson made a lot of money on bull teams. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, heck yeah, man. It's been awesome having you on here. We'll definitely do it again. Uh, yeah, man, I enjoyed it. I haven't seen you in a minute. We're definitely going to have to do this in person. So when oh, I yeah. get healed up and stuff, we'll get back on the road. Um, we'll do some of that. I don't – I've thought about years getting my pro rodeo card because there's times where even you're hit, going on these PBR runs where, like, you legitimately, if you have your card, you could enter stuff on the way. And you're going to be gone already. Oh, yeah. It's not going to like affect how much you're home. So we'll see. Yeah. I haven't I haven't pulled the trigger, but I've definitely saw some value in it. There's a few guys that are doing it now, and seems to be pretty decent. <laughs> I just I just ended up with my my PBR card, so we'll oh, have nice. to use it too. <laughs> yeah, heck yeah, and it's the same deal. It's like uh, I forget who who we were talking to but even if you're a priority guy and you're going priority you know there's velocities and stuff like they pay good and if yeah, you're yeah. somewhere else you might as well freaking you know go to twenty thousand out of bull riding even yeah, and that's the thing, thing is they add so much you know thorn pros even pay pretty decent too so Heck yeah. Yeah. but as far as like making it going to nfr and stuff that's a one reason is like i if I I know if I get my card, then I'm gonna get that you know desire like, hey, I'm gonna go all out and then, man, I got a kids and and now going all out rodeo and going all out PBR. I don't know that my wife would want to go with me. <laughs> oh, she she would be so mad. <laughs> I'm only gonna be gone for a few months, babe. <laughs> a few a few what? A few... Yeah. Yeah, a few months. <laughs> that that is pretty tough, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. I when I was younger, if I would have done it over again, I probably would have spent a little more time in the rodeo instead of just mm. diving off skate. But man, I I had to drive, and I still do. And my goals, you know, stubbornness or whatever. It's not what I what I thought it would be when I started. It's nothing like that. But I still, mm -hmm. you know, that I I told myself I'm gonna accomplish. So. Oh yeah, one of those deals. And you're you're not. It's not over until you until you lose the drive. I don't think. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If you if you still have the drive to do it, then then. It's and I, I honestly feel like myself personally, like getting hurt wasn't the worst thing that ever happened to me. It was, it was probably more on the the better end of the spectrum, because it. It realigned my priorities. I was taking it for granted, you know. I always then... tell myself if I if I ever get hurt, mm -hmm. and if I if I ever get to the point where, like, if I were to get hurt, I would have <clears throat> to recover the way that I recover because I've had eight surgeries now. So I've right. like like I know what it takes to recover well and to come back in a spot where you're better than what you did before you got hurt. And it, if I don't have that drive to do that, yeah. then I think I'm, I'm about done. Like, you know, but man, it, when you get hurt, like it really tells you like, where are you at? Like, do you want this? And it, 
it opened my eyes because I had to sit. I had to sit around and like that's this is what I do. I mean, I, I, I'm addicted to rodeo, and you know, if if I wasn't going to a rodeo to ride bulls, I was going with my buddy Klein to help him put on rodeos and all some of my young bulls and whatnot. So I I was around it the whole time, and I had to I had to watch it, and I I got to see all sides of it. I got to see the young kids coming up, putting out the effort. And I got to see the guys just showing up and not putting out the effort. And you kind of, you kind of take a little bit from every, every part of that. The young kids that fired me up. I wanted to, you know, I got, that's, I remembered why I did it, you know, and that it fueled my fire. And then the other guys, I was like, there's no, there's no need in wasting time. So if you're, if you're not going to come back and be a hundred percent, it might be it. You know what I mean? So I, that was a decision that I was faced with and I could not come back. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. For I sure. missed it too much. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you, man. Uh, what are your uh, social media handles? People can follow Denton Fugate and watch what you're doing. Uh, it's Fugate Denton on Instagram and just Denton Fugate on Facebook. And I think that's all I got. That's all you got. Sweet. Heck yeah, man. Well, we'll definitely do this again. Man, I want to get at some point, uh, get a few of us together. Maybe me, you, Keith, Sylvie, I don't know, a group of guys and, and do one. That would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Get we'll climb, have some stories have for, man. Do what? <laughs> get Klein on there. Let him have a few beers. Oh shoot! I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we might we might have to cut that one short. Yeah, man, he cut short. He he knows, he knows entirely too much. Just yeah, monitor how how quickly he gets them. <laughs> like, it hasn't yeah. been minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah! Well, thanks for joining us, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll definitely do this again. Um, it's been awesome having you, Denton. See you later, guys. Bye.